We're going to look in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 18. Okay? Are you ready? So, remember from last week, he'd been talking about uh, the secret to contentment and talking about the love of money and greed and pride and selfishness. Okay, so he says in verse 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate or sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Father, bless the reading of your word. Give us the grace and strength and fill us with your spirit. Open the eyes of our understanding to receive your truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, fight or flight. Maybe, you know, it's been a long time since you've been in a situation where you had to decide. Um, If you were here Sunday night, uh, we heard a great message by Kyle Eidelman. Uh, Not personally, we brought him in, okay, but by video. But he told about an experience of his life about he didn't know which he was until he got in a, in a situation. He found out I was running before I even knew what was happening, you know. But, but uh, we have that mechanism of fight or flight. Well, uh, sometimes we've got to decide which is the best course, right? And I might think, which one am I? Well, hopefully it would depend on what situation I'm in. Can't say we always do this right, can we? Um, I remember when I was young in, in, in school, we had a guy come to our school, and he was like, and I may remember this because I'm not like all into this stuff, you know, kind of like wish I was, but I'm not. Uh, he was all like a, a, a seventh degree black belt. Does that sound right? I'm not even going to ask if we have any 7th degree black belts in here because I, I don't know that I want to know. But anyway, so I guess that's like pretty high. Um, I didn't see him do it, but guys that I knew saw this guy that wasn't any taller than what I am today, even though I was smaller then, that he could jump and kick. He could jump and kick the bottom of the net on the basketball goal. Yeah. So you don't want to mess with this guy. But I, I did ask the question. He's all doing a little demonstration and things. He didn't do that, but I heard that he did. It sounds great to tell, but anyway. But I said, so what do you do? Tell me, what do you do if you're somewhere and somebody's going to steal you something from you, but they come out and they pull a knife on you or a gun? What do you do? What's the move? What do you do? And he just said, run. <laughs> I thought, I was expecting some, you know, him to demonstrate. He said, Run. He says, you know, get out of there. If someone's got a knife and you or a gun and you can get away, get away. Don't fight. Run. 
So uh, sometimes there are situations that that's exactly what we need to do. All right? Sometimes we actually run toward things that we need to be running from. Amen? I mean, you don't have to say amen because it's painful, isn't it? Because we know it's true of us too many times in our lives. There are some situations where we fight and we need to overcome. We need to stand firm. We need to then move forward. But there are other times, now listen, fighting won't work. You may be a fighter, but there's times, listen, fighting won't work. I get that from Paul. Or fighting will just draw you into a continual, continual battle. So there are some things from which we need to flee. Trying to fight will result, even if you just, is a continual fight, what might happen is it's going to continually result in robbing you of all your time and your energy and your strength so other enemies can actually close in on you without you realizing it. <clears throat> so some things we're not to try to take on. Instead, you need to take off. And get as far away as possible. So that means there are some, there may be, according to Paul here, he talks about fleeing things. There may be some things we need to avoid, right? There may be, listen to me, there may be some places we need to avoid. There may be some situations altogether that we need to not get into. We need to actually try to get away from. There may be some people we need to stay away from. Okay, there may be. All right, so fight or flight. Uh, flee. That's the first thing he says because he says right here, but you, he's described those who are eaten up with greed and selfishness, even though, and, and many of them are, or maybe it's not so much that, they're contentious. They're always wanting to argue over words and over dispute things and all this stuff. They, 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 they try to look like they're godly. They try to act like they're godly. They try to use scripture, but they're bending and twisting things. And one of the things that they're doing is creating all kinds of arguments. And he says in verse 4 that from that comes envy, strife, and all this suspicions and judgmentalism. And then he talks about those <clears throat> who are trying to use the guise of godliness to benefit themselves personally. And then he says, but godliness, real godliness with contentment is great gain. We talked about that. And then he talked about <clears throat> those who are swallowed up by greed and by pride and the love of money. Okay? And now he says, but you. Almost kind of get that finger poke right here when he does that, don't you? That may be them, but everybody else, but everybody else, right? He says, but you, oh man of God. I like that. Flee these things. We're told to flee. That means all those things he had talked about just then that we mentioned. Uh, notice Paul addressed him as man of God. That's powerful, isn't it? What a privilege it is to be a man of God or a woman of God. It doesn't just mean that you try to live a godly life. It means if I'm a man of God, if you're a woman of God, that means you belong to God. It's a symbol of ownership. 
I'm not my own man. I'm not doing my own thing for God. I totally am of him. I belong to him. It's ownership. Makes a huge difference, folks. Thank you very much. I act, thank you. Bless your heart. I actually, is it that bad? <laughs> I actually had one of these and I got to, hey, it helped. <laughs> I actually had one of these and I set it down back there somewhere and um, forgot to bring it up. Thank you. All right, now everybody else is thirsty, but I sound better. <laughs> um, so these things that he's talking about are these things he just pointed out, but they're, they're, they're motivated by greed, by pride, by selfishness, by all of that. But you know what? You know what? There are several times that Paul just says flee. So I thought I'd just pull a few of them up, all right? Um, I don't know what's going on here. Um, Jeff, do you know what's happening? I'm stuck right there, okay? I've got verses to put up there uh, that you can see. Uh, <laughs> thank you. There are some things that we need to run. Yep, absolutely. I think I said it. Next, next. Can you get me next? All right. It's thinking and the reason why I'm asking is because I don't actually have this verse memorized or written down, so I need you to put it up there. So I, I'm sorry. I may have to turn there. All right. First Corinthians, I don't know. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to turn there. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. You're going to have to look at it. Just don't miss what we're going to say, all right? He says this. This is a big one, all right? Because there's some things that are so central to our flesh that fighting it is not going to work. He tells Timothy, he says this, he says, flee, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. The Greek word, some translations say fornication. Are you, did I lose everybody all of a sudden? I think the enemy doesn't want this exposed because this is something real to probably most of us. Yeah, thank you. I mean, this is tough to talk about, okay? And my voice and the technology, everything, the enemy's like, don't pay attention to that, man. Okay? Here's the thing, is that the Greek word is the word pornea. And let me just tell you, that can involve all that's involved. Pornography, it can involve anything. That's, of, that's why sexual immorality is the translation there. That's not God's design. All right? As you could say fornication, adultery, you can say homosexuality, you can say all of those things that are not God's design. I didn't write the word of God, he did, and he put certain perimeters around things. And there's some stuff that's so prevalent in our society that we just think, well, it's just okay today. But God never said it was okay, he says it's destructive. I'm not trying to keep something from you, I'm trying to keep something for you. But yet, I know how I made you, and I know what sin has done to you. So I know, thank you Jeff. Appreciate you, bro. Uh, See, he's involved in preaching this sermon, right? Um, So I know how I made you, and I know that there's nothing that strikes to the deepest core part of your brain and your central nervous system and everything else like this. And so this is one battle that you are no match for. What you need to do, it's like when the dude pulls out a knife. You need to run. Flee. Sexual immorality, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. If you're a Christian, and this is what that passage goes into, your body's like the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to be a clean vessel for God to use. Right? 
Some of them would understand that even that word Gentile, the teachings about the, the temple, this holy place that God's presence dwelt, you didn't want to defile it. You're actually sinning against your own body by defiling God's vessel. Don't just say, well, in my spirit, I serve God. But you know, in my body, no, your body belongs to God too. That's what he tells us in this passage. And you don't want to do that. So he says we're to flee that also. Let's try it. Ah, you fixed it. First Corinthians 10, 14. I hope you're getting some of these verses down. Because anytime he says flee, I want to pull them up. And then here he says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And, and basically in that passage, because you've got to set the context right, he's talking about people who were trying to mix some of their old pagan stuff with, with even worshiping God in the Lord's Supper. So basically he's saying that you're trying to mix you know, the old stuff. With, if, if you're putting anything else ahead of God, you need to get away from some of that stuff in your old life. Amen. You need to get away from it. You can't keep fighting it. You need to do whatever you got to do to get away from it. Flee idolatry. That was a problem for them. Because all their friends were there. And they had these wicked festivals to worship their idol. And all you can't do that. And then come sit at the Lord's table. You need to flee it. You need to get away. Now, he says, I don't mean you got to flee everything that's bad. Because otherwise you'd have to go live on the moon. And you'd probably find something there. Right? But there are some things, I think you get the idea, fight or flight. There are some things we're to put some distance between ourselves. There may be some things like that. And then he tells Timothy later on in the second letter when he writes back to Timothy, shortly before Paul passed, before he was executed, we believe. 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, flee also youthful lusts. Now, once again, you're just thinking of, of sexual immorality. But it could be more than that. It, it's probably, that's probably the main thing. Because the word there is for youthful or juvenile. And uh, the word for lust is a word that means to just be hot. And, you know, uh, out of control. So it could, be, it could be sexual lust. It could be that, that desire, that burning fire we have to just think we know everything when we're young. I mean, just don't, I don't think, I don't think he, he, he dialed it down so much we could just limit it to just one category. Youthful lust is pretty big. But you know what? You can be old and you can have the same burning desires that you had when you was young and you didn't know any better. Right? Flee. You need to just get away from them. You don't want to stand there and analyze them. You want to get some distance between you and it. But notice how much this sounds like what he says in the text of 1 Timothy that we already read. But pursue. But pursue righteousness, faith, love. And the thing is, he changes, he swaps gentleness out with peace in this one. With those who call on the Lord. Did you see that? Out of a pure heart. Out of a pure heart. That's what we want. That's what we need is a pure heart. I want to be a holy vessel set aside for him. Out of a pure heart. But when he says, back over in our text in 1 Timothy chapter 6. When he says, to flee these things... That in the Greek, in the original language, that this verb is what's called, and I believe it's inspired. I believe every bit of it's inspired in the way God wanted it. And that all teaches us something. Some of us are called to try to get into there and analyze it and, 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 and share it forth, okay? That's what I want to do. That verb is present active imperative. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are to constantly flee. It's not fleeing you're done. It's constant fleeing from those things. So he said, but you, they may all be doing that, but you, O man of God, you belong to him, flee and keep on fleeing those things. 
All right? All that stuff, all right? But we're not just supposed to run from. If all you're doing is running from, if you're just running from, you'd just be like the guy that got lost out in the woods that day. We'd been out squirrel hunting, and, and even though it was daylight, it was very cloudy, you couldn't tell where the sun was, and he, got, he panicked, and he took off running. And he was running through briars and tearing his overalls and everything. You ever, you ever panic like that? You ever see somebody panic? They think they're lost, and all of a sudden they're just like, ah! And then, you know, I had to chase him down. You can see, there he goes, go get him. You know, he didn't know where he, where the, how to get out of the woods. Um, but what he ended up doing is, you know, and when you're lost, a lot of times you go in circles. So a lot of times, if all of you're doing is just running from, you're liable to just run in circles. So he never tells us to run from something without telling us what we're supposed to run to. And that's why he says, flee these things. But then he says what? He says, pursue, pursue. Did you get that? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. It's similar to what he says in his next letter. He, he feels like, Timothy, I need to tell you this again. All right? There he specifically says, watch out for youthful lust. Timothy was kind of young still, but he says, and you know, you want to pursue these things. So some things we run from, but there are some things we run to. And what we're doing is we're pursuing something so much better. Part of our problem is, is we may actually be pursuing the things we ought to be fleeing. It's not just we're not fleeing, we're actually pursuing the wrong things. So, pursue, he says, these things. And it's something better. We gotta keep pursuing. It's progressive as well. Because if we stop, those other things may catch up with me. Okay? But so, my focus, if I'm running, if I'm fleeing from those things, my focus is, is not on those things. You can't flee very good if you're looking back. You know what I'm saying? Your focus needs to be ahead on what you are pursuing. So it's not enough just to flee some things. you got to pursue some things. The right things. And that's where your focus is. Your focus, because if I'm thinking about all the stuff that I don't need to be doing, just thinking about not doing them, I'm already thinking about them. Right? I need something else to take over the focus. For see thing, and he goes through this whole list of stuff uh, uh, to the Philippians about think on these things. Get the bad thoughts out. You got to fill it with the good, with the right. Okay, and and so he says pursue, and he mentions um, these things that we're focused in our direction are now on those things ahead, those things above, those things that mark you off as a set apart for God and holy. Six things he mentions we're to pursue, and it's, as I said, similar to what he says in 2 Timothy 2.22. And the, uh, the first one is righteous. He said, but pursue righteous. Don't you like to just get in the word of God and just, that's the sermon, is just bring it out every word, every verse. I love that. That's my favorite way to do this. He says, pursue righteousness. What is righteousness? Was a word we throw around a lot. Well, it has in there about being right, okay. It is the character or quality of being right, just, or holy before God. You want to pursue that. Now, we can only be that way because we've been justified, we've been forgiven. Okay, now you've got to stay with me here for a second, okay? Because here's the thing the Bible teaches, Paul has taught. If your position is in life that you are in Christ and no longer dead in your sins, you've been saved... Now you're in Christ. That is your position. 
But if you're in Christ, um, then you already have righteousness. Christ righteousness that has been deposited into your account. That's called positional righteousness because of Jesus. Hey, Paul talks about Abraham, just like Abraham of old. When we believe, we put our faith. That means we put our faith totally in Christ. Abraham believed, but all he had, he didn't have the whole gospel. All he had was the beginnings of the gospel in a sense, or early part of it, that in you, all nations of the world are going to be blessed, that there's going to come someone through your line of people. And it was a promise of Jesus. Paul points that out. That even, you know, later on in the Galatians, he didn't say your seeds, but he said seed singular. He was talking about Jesus, Paul tells us. Hey, <clears throat> the best interpreter and commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Right? <clears throat> so, Romans chapter 4, he's talking about Abraham. He says, about Abraham believed, he had faith. And therefore, the Bible says, he quotes Genesis, it was accounted to him for righteousness. God accounted it to him. Abraham believed. Now, we know Abraham had been a, a sinner. But God accounted it. That is, God deposited into his account righteousness. So he said, now, that wasn't just written for Abraham. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing to something in the New Testament. It wasn't just written for his sake along that it was imputed. To impute means to put to deposit something into something else. Okay? It's not just for Abraham that it was written about that, but for us also, also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe, have faith in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. I believe and I confess that God has raised him from the dead. I believe he died for my sins and rose again to give me righteousness, new life that he raised our Lord Jesus from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification, imputed righteousness. That when you come to Christ by faith and you're trusting him, just like Abraham, what happened was Jesus took all of your sin and paid for it on the cross. But still, even if your sin's all covered, you still don't have any righteousness because the Bible says our righteousness is what? Even the best that man can do on his own is like filthy rags in God's sight. So, he deposits Jesus' righteousness into your life. Satan does not want you to understand this. He does not want you to get this. Because I can confess I'm not good enough. I am not enough, but Jesus is enough. So we need to understand that we're responsible to live out our salvation, but yet my salvation is not my performance based. It's based on Jesus' performance. And I receive it by my faith. By trusting totally in him instead of what I do. Um, Paul says it this way. Are you ready for this awesome favorite verse of mine? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. For he, talking about God the Father, made him Jesus Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's how thoroughly he took on your sin. That he would be sin. The one who is holy. That he made him to be sin for us on our account, on our behalf. That we, in turn, might become the what? Righteousness of God in him. I'm spending a lot more time on this first one than I will the other, so don't get worried. Because we need to get this clear. We become, so when I'm saved, I'm justified for my sin. I am made righteous because of Jesus' righteousness. That's my position. 
I'm talking about positional righteousness. What's Paul saying? Pursue. Now, if you're saved and you already have this, what does he mean? He's talking now about practical righteousness. You have positional righteousness because you're saved. Your sins are forgiven. But you're to pursue practical righteousness where it shows forth in your life. That's what he's talking about here. That is, our practice or our way of living is right with God and shows to be Christ-like. That's what we're pursuing now that we have what's on the inside, Christ's righteousness. It begins to show itself more and more on the outside by the way we live. And by the way, this process, are you ready for it, is also called sanctification. Sanctification means to be set aside, to set apart, made holy. Now you may feel that you've come to the place where you have been totally set apart for God. And that's awesome. Yet, unless... Don't think that it's all done completely unless in all of your thoughts and in all of your actions, everywhere you go and everything you do, unless you're as perfect as Jesus, you still have some work to be done and God's one to do. Okay? So this process goes on throughout our lives and it is progressive. And and, and that's what he's doing. When he talks about righteousness, you want to pursue this. This, you're running away from the other stuff, but you're not, you're running, see, these are opposites. You're not pursuing those wicked things and those rotten things and those things that bring destruction, but you are actually, because you're putting, they're opposite. So you're running away from them anyway if you're running toward righteousness and living a righteous life, right? Because they're in two different towns. That's a bad illustration, but you know what I mean? Right? They're opposite directions. So it goes together. To flee those things means you're going to be, if you're doing it right, pursuing righteousness. And then he says godliness. Godliness. Well, that's a lot of times we flip-flop those words, don't we? And so what's the difference? Well, most everyone agrees that while righteousness has to do with your outer actions, godliness actually has to do more with your inner attitudes and motives that produces the outward action. And being pious on the inside Right behavior flows from right thoughts and attitudes. That's why in Romans 12, 2, he said that we're to be transformed by the what? Renewing of our mind. So the way we live and the way we think, we think godly. We live righteously, we think, and our motives are godly. Godlike, if you want to say it that way. It's not actually what the word is, but that gets an idea out there, Okay. So we're to pursue godliness. I want to to work to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's job of transforming the way I think and my motives and my attitudes. Because sometimes on the outside, we can make everything look really good, but what's on the inside is what God sees. You can have everybody here fooled, but God's not fooled. He sees everything, right? He reminds Timothy of that here in just a moment. And then he says, righteousness, godliness, Faith, love. I put those two together, faith and love. It's remarkable, if you read Paul's writings, how many times that he links those two. Faith and love are together. Faith, love, right there together. Faith is that confident trust and reliance totally upon God for everything. It's more than just mental assent of believing. It is total trust and reliance. Love, love is God's love flowing into us and then out of us. 
It is. Listen to this. God's love. We're to pursue this. Pursue trusting God more, relying on Him more. We're to pursue the love of God. Now, I don't have this love of, I can't generate this. I can't conjure this up. It's got to come from Him. It's agape. That's the Greek word. It is unconditional. It is undeserved. It is never-ending. Eternal. It is unrestrained. So when it says pursue love, I want unconditional, undeserved. Uh, I want all of that. I want unrestrained love for God and for other believers and even non-believers. In fact, he says love your enemies and he's not going to ask you to do something without giving you the power to do it. So this is love. Think about how God loves us. We don't deserve it. He loves us yet we turn our back on him. We let him down constantly. If we were to say it in human terms, sometimes we say we really embarrass him. But he keeps loving us. He never stops. He says nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's hard to understand because we want to make God's love like our love. But God's love is nothing like human love. God so loved the world that he gave. And we've often said that that means that there's nothing you could do to make God love you more. Because he already loves you, he says, in one place with an everlasting love. And eternal love. See, like us, we think if we do right things, you'll love me more. That may be the way humans are, but that's not the way God is because God loves you already with a perfect love. But if that part is true, there's nothing you can do so good to make him love you any more than he already does because he loves you with a perfect love. The flip side is tougher to understand, but it is also true. There's nothing so bad you can do to make him love you less. You may not be able to feel and experience that fellowship or love, Because you've separated yourself from him because of sin. But his love is still constant. He loves you the same. Just because you failed doesn't mean God loves you less. And he keeps pursuing you out of that love. That's the kind of love that he says that we're to also pursue. In loving God, loving each other, and even able to love our enemies. Those who've done bad to us. And then he says, patience and gentleness. Patience is not just that you have just, you just try to work on putting up with stuff or just waiting around being patient, right? Like at the doctor's office. That's why they call us patients. Isn't it? I always thought it was. You're a patient because you got to wait forever, you know? Um, anyway, I could tell stories, but I need to stay on track. <laughs> The word here doesn't just mean that. The word literally means to stand up and bear up under a load. The word is a picture of someone standing under a load and not letting it down. Holding up under the weight. That perseverance would be another word that you could use there. And so the Greek word means to bear up under the load. It means we don't stop. We don't give up. We don't quit. We pursue that perseverance. That strength. That only God can give us. And then gentleness. And the word gentleness here doesn't mean that we let people you know, run over us and stuff like that. Literally is a word that means strength under control. Keeping your composure, especially in the face of opposition. You don't just blow your stack. You're gentle. Because you trust God. These are things we're to pursue. And if we're going after those things, we're going to be going away from the other. All right? But now he also tells us there's some battles that we're to fight. We're to fight. Why? Look at the next verse. He says in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, right? So fight 
Sometimes flight, sometimes pursue, and sometimes it is fight. Some things we are to fight for, specifically the good fight of faith. Some folks don't seem to realize that our time in this world, it involves conflict. It involves a war. The enemy has declared war on you. You need to know that. Now, the English word here for fight is a word that we get, I mean, the Greek word for fight is one we get our English word agonize from, strangely enough. That's the word there, agonize. It was a word that was used to apply to soldiers and also to athletes in the early Olympic Games. As they, it it refers to, it speaks of the discipline and the dedication and the concentration and the effort involved in winning a victory. That's what the word fight involves there. You just thought it meant duke it out. No, it refers to a lot of the stuff that goes on inside of that, of dedication and determination and effort, concentration and all of that. The fight in which we are involved is the most noble fight of all, the good, the most noble fight of faith. The fight of faith. So faith means we are to maintain and fight to keep our reliance and our trust and our confidence in Jesus Christ and not let anything turn us away from him. But the faith also is used to also describe that whole body of truth in the word of God. Did you know that? We're to fight for the faith. Contend. Well, Jude wrote us a little letter, and it's only got one chapter. Verse 3, here's what he says. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend. That's kind of a word that sounds kind of like fight, isn't it? To contend earnestly for the faith, the good fight of faith. I wrote to you, I want to encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith, that whole body of truth that was once for all, he's not adding to it or taking away from it, once for all given to the saints. We're going to contend for that. We don't back down, we don't run from that. We're going to contend for the faith, okay? Then he says, involved in this, the next thing, taking hold of eternal life. Well, now, I thought if you were saved, you already had eternal life, right? In fact, John said, 1 John 5, verse 13, he says, These things I've written that you may know that you, what, have eternal life. So if you're saved, don't you already have it? What does this mean? Well, the word take hold of literally means to get a grip or to get a better, or to strengthen your grip. So he says, strengthen your grip on eternal life. I like the way it's worded here, that it means practically appropriating all the benefits, privilege, responsibilities involved in the possession of something you already have. When he says, take hold of it, get a better grip on it, that you need to better appropriate all the benefits, privileges, and responsibilities that are yours because you already are saved and have eternal life. Take hold of it, Timothy. Get a better grip on it. Keep your focus. That you're not living in light of just your circumstances right now. You're living in light of forever. The eternity that he has for you. That makes me able to deal with some junk here. Because I know this is so temporary. And what's going to be perfect is forever. It can help you deal with the pain that you have in your body even. Knowing that this is a vapor. It's temporary. And that you're going to have a perfect one forever. Having that perspective. That's why you can go to the doctor 
And they're going to say, this is going to hurt, but you're not going to get better till I do this. And you just like take that shot or they dig out something. You're just like, because like, you know it's not going to last long and it's going to get, make you well. That's a bad illustration, but yet it somewhat helps us get the idea that the tough things we go through here compared to forever is even less time than that. If you put it on a ratio of this and that. So that helps to take hold of eternal life. There's something bigger going on than what you see with your physical eyes, okay? And what you feel with your human emotions. It is the life to which we are called. That's what he tells us next, to which you are called. I could have never found it on my own. He called me, amen? He sought me. He drew me. It involves, his calling involves my salvation from sin and also preparing an eternal place for me. He said, and, keep reading, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, Timothy. I'm just going to remind you of that. That good confession refers to his confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Many witness this, and by the way, one of the main ways that they and even we witness this good confession of I'm trusting Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for all my salvation and all my righteousness and all my everything is when we're baptized. That is the expression of faith in our salvation in Jesus Christ, and it is the good confession among many witnesses. And so it probably involves that as well. And so he says, I urge you in the sight of God, who, and I want to remind you, I'm, just, I'm not just saying this for my sake, you remember I told you this, but in the sight of God, God is watching you. He's real. And he is the one who sees all things. He gives life to all things. Powerful, huh? Never get tired of being reminded of that. And before Christ Jesus, sometimes you're put up against it, Timothy. But remember Jesus was really here in the flesh and he felt everything that you might ever feel. The temptations in all points like any of us, but without sin. And he made the good confession before Pontius Pilate. When he stood for his truth, when he went to the cross to die for you, the very thing you believe in, he came ahead of you and he stood there before Pontius Pilate. And he says, I urge you in the sight of this God that you do something else. So we've got flee, we've got pursue, we've got fight. I might throw one more in there, keep. Right? Next verse. Keep these things. You keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. You keep this. The commandment he's referring to without spot and blameless, you want it to be pure. You don't want to mess up. And blameless, you know, without reproach or rebuke. That is, there's plenty of people going to try to blame you. But you need to live in such a way as as they dig, they don't find it. God help us. That's the goal, isn't it? Help us to get there, that we keep this. What commandment? Well, specifically some of the things he had been urging them about, but most everyone agrees that he's using the word commandment in its broadest sense, meaning the entire body of truth of the word of God, everything that God gives you, that you keep it without spot and blameless. And he calls God himself as a witness for this, the one who gives life to all things. He calls Christ as witness, who was also focused on the bigger picture when he stood before and suffered before Pontius Pilate. Keep this until the 
appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's coming back. You need to live like you believe it. In his own time, it's when he decides. So the whole conclusion of this then, of everything, of, of, of this battle that we're in, this race that we're running, the conclusion of it all, Christ glorified. Listen to this. It's not I'm doing this just so I get some kind of good boy. I want to hear well done someday. But it's not just the whole reason. <clears throat> you don't want to just try to live the pure and holy life just because you think of what you get out of it. You will get out of it. You will get a lot out of it. Okay? But I've seen some people that want to live and try to do everything the way God says. And they do that. They obey. And then still bad things happen. And it messes with their faith. Right? We want, but now, if you live according to God's principles, God designed things, more than likely things are going to work better in your life and you are going to be blessed. But there are times. Remember Job? We have examples in Scripture. The apostles, many of them were imprisoned and beaten for doing the right things. Peter writes in his letter about those who were suffering for doing what was right. So sometimes you can be obedient and live a pure and a holy life and you're going to suffer because you did what was right. You're not doing it just so things work out good for you. You're doing it to glorify Him and to please Him. Nothing else. It's just because He's God. How many times I've heard people say, well, you know, I've tried to do this right, do this right, and then things just got worse, so forget it. So you were only trying to do right, so things just got better and easier in your circumstances. Oh. It's to glorify Christ. That's why he just goes off. I love it when Paul just goes off. Don't you see that here? He goes off on this. He's going to appear, which he will manifest in his own time. He will reveal himself in his own time. He is the only blessed and the only sovereign. He's the only king of kings. He's the only Lord above anybody that would call themselves Lord. I just got to go on about him. He alone has immortality. He alone is the one who dwells in unapproachable light. His glory is so powerful. His glory is so amazing. He's the only source of immortality. His glory is so awesome, described as unapproachable light. No human eye could ever behold it. No one could behold him. No human. But we know that one of these days, those who are saved and transformed will be given a resurrection body and we will behold his glory someday. But man can't hear. That's why you got to have faith. And then he says, to whom be honor. And power that never ends. No expiration date on it. I want to honor him. I want to honor him. I want everybody to know how valuable Jesus is to me. By the way I live and by the way I think. No matter how things go. To him be honor. And everlasting power. Amen. That's the conclusion.